You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 154. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. This is a co-hosted show, of course, today, joined by Aaron. How are you doing today? Heidi ho neighbors. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw um, a Simpsons meme today, so it's it's floating around in the back of my head. Okay, okay. Um, so, uh, where are we going to start today? Oh my God! Uh, so, let's start with the um, the decentralization episode from last week because I was surprised at how. Uh, how much of a uh, of like a positive feedback I got? You know, sometimes I listen to all these other podcasters and all these other creators, whether it's on locals or somewhere else, and like they're on fire, and I'm like, wow, this guy's putting together. <laughs> and I sort of, uh, you know, rounded up the news stories and, and and gave some good reporting, but I wasn't like I was a little bit disjointed. So I'm glad that people, uh, you know, saw the value in that. Well, I, I think everyone's been a little disjointed in the last uh, last seven to ten days. It's it's been interesting times. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just want to follow up on that story because there's obviously uh, in terms of like the decentralization of the internet, which is a slow moving, you know, ten fifteen year story as we'll get to in a little bit. But now this week is the time like things are moving very fast, and so I got um, I saw a bunch of messages on Twitter from Anthony Pompliano, uh, Anthony Pompliano uh, 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 at Pomp, I think. And he writes a lot about Bitcoin. He's a he's a big Bitcoin investor, and you know he gave uh, he he also really believes that uh, the decentralization decade is coming. He sort of gave he went through like the 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 bed of the 1990s was the internet. The bed of the 2010s is mobile and cloud and and some social, and the bed of the 2020s will be decentralization. And I thought you know yes, and this really goes along well with the kind of the classification system that Chris Dixon gave, which was um, 1990 to 2005 web, uh, decentralized web, 2005 to 2020, uh, big tech web, (laughs) Facebook, Google, all that. And then 2022, presumably 2035 is the uh, decentralized era. Or at least that's when we'll be building it. I assume we don't get to enjoy the fruits of it so much uh, until the end of the era. Although, Many people are already enjoying the fruits of Bitcoin, to be sure. Yeah, and and I, I guess we've we've seen a, a bit of chatter in the local as well uh, with responses to that show, uh, your last show. Uh, I think particularly yeah. uh, around was it Mastodon um, and and people checking that out. Yes, um, yeah, some people are checking out Mastodon, which is the alternative to Twitter. I have not personally been able to get really into it yet, but. I think it's interesting, like just because I can't get into it. Well, th- then again, I don't tweet that much, so it's like, um, so so maybe I'm not the, the the person to to get started. Now I'm just putting my random thoughts. I'll, I'll go on locals, maybe, so you all can get them on maximum.locals.com to to uh, connect with me directly. But I think that um, I th- I think that uh, I, I'm sort of starting to learn about it because. If if I've learned one thing about like valuing startups, and I know Mastodon isn't a startup, it's a it's a collection, but it's like growth matters, and the growth has been tremendous. Hmm. 
are we still allowed to say tremendous? That's going to be a problem. No, but it has been. It's it's been hugely tremendous. <laughs> oh no, no, no! That's clearly out. Bridge too far. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So that's... I, I am not yet on Mastodon, but but uh, much like like you, I've I've been putting uh, things that that previously I might have sent directly to you as as a private conversation. Uh, I've I've been sharing some of those thoughts over on the local as well. So uh, oh, good. And and uh, it. I'm I'm glad to see that some of our, our our listeners have been chiming in on some of those topics I, as well. I, I'm surprised because uh, pleasantly surprised because I had a Facebook group for for the whole time and nobody ever said anything on the Facebook group. <laughs> no, you know, so uh, there's something about this locals where it's like, you know, it's just us or just the locals that you subscribe to that is um, that is very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I would be very so. curious to see how many of the members of the the maximum dot uh, locals dot com are also members of other locals, or or if you, if 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 we are the uh, the participation that has brought them to the platform, because I think that may have been part of the problem over on the Facebook side is that there's so much other stuff going on that maybe they add you to their to their feed, but you get drowned out in all the noise there. Right, especially since my feed was just announcing new episodes sure. which i do on locals but you know it's um there's, there's, there's more no than random thoughts on, on the feed yeah uh okay so uh another follow-up ceo tw- uh, twitter ceo jack dorsey uh defends banning trump as the right decision but he says that he wants to work on a crypto version of twitter and um he's calling it blue sky and so he says this is going to be the decentralized twitter and then we're going to put twitter on top of it and so i haven't found too much specifics on how blue sky would work there's one article in um i believe it's uh it's it's metro saying that you know it's they're trying to make it more blockchain-y it's modeled on bitcoin whereas you know mastodon is just decentralized it's not a blockchain but um it's uh, the, the Mastodon developers are skeptical. They they kind of think Dorsey is working on something that's competing with them and that he so in order for him to have control over. But he also said that, hey, I just appointed a small team of five people to do this and they have complete freedom to identify and use existing technology. Uh, but also in another interview with Jack Dorsey that came out today, he said that Twitter needs to stamp down harder on, um, you know, some of the conspiracy theories and whatnot on Twitter. So. Um, which, which maybe is not uh, necessarily inconsistent with wanting to build this this freer platform, but maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I'm. He's, I, he's giving mixed messages. I would be very interested interested to see something that is that is blockchain based because presumably that would mean that you can't censor Uncensorable. it because once it goes yeah. up there, it's there. You can't alter it. Um, right. Even Mastodon uh, can basically you can collude and center and censor. I think theoretically. Yeah. But but it, it, it it's. Granted, it's 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 very much buzzword bingo at this point since we don't know what what's actually going on under the hood here. But the idea of having a uh, uncensorable yeah. uh, layer and then sit on top of that, you have uh, you know your your Twitter interface, which uh, among its features could be a filter to to filter out all the stuff they they view as objectionable, and you could use this uh, this viewer this interface to view that blockchain, or you could have some other uh, viewer interface that you know maybe maybe it's uh, a you know via via gab or parlor or something that's hooked into the same blockchain but has a different set of of filtering criteria and and you've talked about having uh, competing filter models as 
as a uh, a solution to some of these problems before. Um, that right. That this might be a way to uh, to operationalize that vision. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have it, high it, faith in Twitter being the one to do that properly, but no, I, no I like but the idea. It, some people might like it. Um, uh, you know, if you're happy with the way Twitter is filtering, if, if you like then, your Twitter, uh, you could, can keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in some ways, they don't filter like. If you go to like, okay, if you go to your Twitter feed, it might be okay if you follow, you know, the people you want to follow. But when you look up their news items on the right, then it's all just like, it's it's all just like the whole random bunch. And it's just like, you get your news item and in, then in below it, it's just a trending? bunch of, it's just a bunch of crap. What, like the, the, the people who are commenting mm. on it. So that, that feature is kind of broken, I think. Um, yeah. So you also see these alternative, uh, uh, social platforms. Another one is MeWe that are just starting to shoot up to the app store. It's like every day another one is shooting up. I haven't seen anything like this for a long time. Uh, the app store has been stable for many years and had been considered um, saturated. So this is very interesting development. Yeah. And, you know, Par- Parler was shooting to the top of the list for a while until they got uh, deep sixed. Or, yeah. or torpedoed, I, or however yeah. you want to put it. So I'm I'm curious how long MeWe is going to be able to ride this wave uh, before either uh, outside influence or or their own uh, own stumbling causes them to to topple. Because I, right, well I think even if I, even if they don't screw something up or get get torpedoed, they can't they can't stay at the top of that store forever. Something's going to happen. Sure, sure. And it's not like uh, you know they need a, an excuse to get rid of you uh, with par- Parlor kind of handed them excuses uh and also made themselves vulnerable to it so i think a lot of these other platforms are seeing okay we have to have an uh, a um uh, a, a game plan if they do x y and z to us and i think they're also uh seeing hey uh you know this is how we can kind of tamp down on some of the crazier stuff on our platform to make it less likely for this to happen uh but and yet still be independent of uh what these other groups are, are doing of, of what the, yeah, the big and, tech companies are doing. And having those backup so plans think, is certainly sensible. Uh, and, and anyone yeah. in this space who, who isn't doing that is, is, you know, committing malfeasance at this point. Cause we know it's, it's yeah. a real risk. Um, but there's, there's definitely uh, a case to be made for, for prior restraint coming into play here that uh, if, if they, if they think that the results of, of unrestricted speech or less restricted speech uh, could, could be this deplatforming, uh, then they're going to be incentivized to exercise more censorship. And is that desirable or not? Uh, I, I yeah, suppose but there's a discussion to be had there. I think they'll just go to the, they'll they'll just do the bare minimum kind of. It's, um, you know, they, they won't do what Twitter's doing, which is, I mean, there's been like a massive deplatforming of tons of people. Somehow I'm I'm still standing. I haven't lost users, <laughs> but I see a yeah. lot of well, people. I, uh, I wonder how much of it is uh, there is there is a an actual line that you can you can go up to. But if you cross it, then you're in trouble versus whoever the one that furthest to. Uh, I, I hate to put this in terms of left and right, but, you know, just just assume a spectrum here and whoever is, you know, oh, the furthest to one side of the spectrum, they're going to get lopped off no matter where the line is actually drawn. And once they're gone, well, then the next person up is on the chopping block. So, you know, maybe, maybe. now that that parlor is is. Uh, but who's the next one? Contention, I don't know. Does that make me we the next on the chopping block? And is there anything they can do uh, I haven't, other yeah. than shifting themselves far enough in the other direction that somebody else is now the, you know, the the the, 
the nail that sticks up. Yeah. I, I don't uh, have a good answer to that. Just I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to get a sense of, of what the real landscape is out there. That being said, yeah. I'm not on any of these platforms, so I, I don't have a good sense of what's really going on <laughs> on the platform itself uh, or, or if it should be a victim or, or uh, subject to these, these yeah. types of actions. MeWe, to me, just seems like a clean Facebook at this point. I haven't seen any, uh, any crazy stuff on it. Actually, some of the groups I was in on, on Facebook have moved, migrated over to MeWe, and it seems like they are... Uh, less vitriolic on MeWe than they ever were on Facebook. Yeah, I've, I've so. heard of a bunch of groups uh, actually starting pretty early in 2020, shifting over to MeWe, um, mostly because uh, key members of the group were getting, uh, you know, repeated bans. Uh, and so it wasn't worth it for them to try and fight it and stick it out. They, Interesting. They decided to, to move camp. I think I think it was more like Facebook started harassing the, the group owners and like asking Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Moderate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, but, but it, it's interesting that, like, <sighs> I've been on a bunch of Facebook groups and every once in a while these Nazis come on and try to Nazi it up. Now, when, and I when you say Nazis, that... do you mean like, like literal white supremacist anti-Semitic or, or are we talking, you know, like grammar Nazi Nazis, but, but not, not just grammar, but, you know, that, that kind okay. of, of vitriol in some other field uh like well let's just say like it was like literal i hate i hate the term literal <laughs> nazi now but it was like um you know i i wouldn't it expect was people that, who that you would use the term as uh you know generic uh generic a-hole substitute uh right you're, right. you're, you're using it a little bit more specifically than that no yeah, yeah. I, I in some of the more open groups on on facebook i've seen those crop in um, and even if they weren't Nazis, they were whatever, you know, uh, um, racist or, or whatever. And, and real, ra- really racist, yeah. not just. Uh, but like MeWe, I haven't seen that yet. So, I mean, maybe it's just like, maybe it's just my uh, experience. But that, that I find that very interesting how, uh, you know, Facebook is, has gotten so ugly and, um, you know, that nobody, nobody talks about it. All right. So uh, I want to talk about a... Uh, uh, a product that I'm just starting to look into, but I, I, I want to check out. And uh, I want to tell you about it. It's called Knowable. What to NBA All-Star Chris Paul, NASA Commander Scott Kelly, and Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian have in common? They all have incredible experiences and have created audio courses to teach you what they've learned. They're on Knowable, a new app where the world's top experts teach new skills in bite-sized audio courses they're short like a podcast, like this one, although this one's not that short. Uh, <laughs> sometimes. They're expert-led like an audiobook and 100% ad-free. NASA Commander Scott Kelly teaches lessons learned from a career in space. NBA All-Star Chris Paul discusses the performance benefits of a plant-based lifestyle. Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian teaches how to launch a startup and over 100 other experts are waiting to teach you something new. Are you ready to learn something new today? Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi and use the code MAX for an additional 20% off. And I think it's $50 a month. So that's uh, uh, no, not $50 a month, $50 a year. Big difference. Uh, so <laughs> so I think you're good with that. Yeah, no. So. We've got an affiliate here, and I'm excited to to get started with it. There are definitely some uh, 
some lessons that I want to dive into. I'm going to dive into it personally and tell you about it uh, on on the show in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I know, Aaron, you probably have a few things on your list, but I'm yeah, kind of excited I, I'm, about this. I'm, I, I haven't, uh, haven't listened to any of them yet, but I've already got uh, Scott Kelly's Go for Launch uh, course on my short list. Uh, along with mm. about a half a dozen other courses that, that I want to uh, take a look at and check out. So hopefully I'll be able to report back more on those in the near future. All right. All right. Exciting. So uh, there'll be a link that you could use on localmaxradio.com slash 154 uh, to check it out. Or you could just go to knowable.fyi and use promo code MAX. Um, all right. Another thing, another quote that I saw, I think this was from Anthony Pompliano, I'm not sure. So the crypto version of any project ends up being a lot more valuable. Now, that's a little bit, um, you know, that is, it's it's a little bit interesting because people sort of conflate the crypto, like a blockchain project and a decentralized project like Mastodon. They're not really the same thing, but uh, they sort of have the same idea. And obviously a blockchain project is something you set in motion. You can't stop. So that's like the most secure. Blockchain by, by its very nature is decentralized. I I think it's a a subset, but not all decentralized projects must use blockchain. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So all of these stories that we're talking about, uh, you know, we're going to continue to follow them. Uh, you know, as we come back every week on the local maximum, maybe, maybe not every week, but it seems like in the near future, a lot of weeks, I always feel like when you go through times like this, it'll be interesting to think like, what are we going to think about this five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, or we make these kinds of forecasts about blockchain technology, about decentralized technology, what what's going to come true 10 years from now? What, what are we going to get wrong? And I feel like since we try to project out so many years, you also kind of have to go back and look at. Uh, past projections that people have made a long time ago. And so I wanted to talk about this video. This is a viral video that came out in 2004. Um, now, there was no YouTube at the time, so how do you have a viral video? Was, I, I was just um, going to ask when that when, when YouTube came along, because I, I, I didn't think it yeah. was there at the time. No, no, it, it wasn't there yet, but it was... Um, it it. I don't know how it went viral, but it was something that was like going around the internet. I don't know how it was. Well, and, and, uh, and it was Flash, which uh, interestingly yeah. enough, uh, we we are so we're recording on the 14th of January. So 14 days ago, Flash was officially uh, depreciated on the internet. It stopped working. Oh, but but the videos are now available on YouTube. Yes, so yeah, okay. they've they've been ported yeah. over, but but the original no longer works because of that. Okay, so these this video is called. Uh, Epic 2014, and then there's another one, Epic 2015, where they just added an extra, you know, a, a few extra sentences, an extra year. And so this was kind of from the standpoint of, of uh, t- 2004, and they were trying to project out the next 10 years of media on the Internet. So it was a presentation given to the Pointner Institute of Media Studies in Tampa, Florida. Uh, so they were talking to media people about how technology is coming to, for you and how it's going to change your world. Of course, it did. Now this same institute runs Fact Checker PolitiFact, which didn't exist in 2004. So they are now part of the of the Borg, as they say. <laughs> so they tried to predict the future of what we now called big tech. And they had a lot to say on news and blogging and journalism. And we want to see how they did. So again, 2004, Facebook was a small college thing. I was on Facebook. Uh, maybe it was going around Facebook a little bit. Uh, 
no iPhones, no YouTube, no Twitter, not a lot of text messaging. They talked a lot about Friendster, actually, which was the proto Facebook. So they, when they say, well, Friendster will do this and Friendster will do that, you yeah, can kind of I'm think. I'm surprised well, they didn't Facebook. even mention MySpace because I think it was around at that point, right? Or, or, yeah, it or been. did it come along after that? I, I know uh, it predated no. Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like MySpace, like people in the media were still using it as the dominant social network in like 2010. When <laughs> in 2010, like Facebook was clearly the dominant one. Like the people are a few years behind on that stuff. Well, you have to remember so. that people in the media, th there was a long stretch where it was only really available and used by people who were in college. Um, so even though it, it had grown across the country right. and across the world, it was very much a, a college kid thing. Uh, not, Until like not a 2007. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, let's um, talk about what they said. Let's actually um, open up the, uh, the the the. Let's listen to the beginning of this. Um, uh, just the first minute of this video. Okay. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. In the year 2015, people have access to a breadth and depth of information unimaginable in an earlier age. Everyone contributes in some way, participating to create a living, breathing mediascape. However, the press as you know it has ceased to exist. The fourth estate's fortunes have waned. 20th century news organizations are an afterthought, a lonely remnant of a not-too-distant past. Okay, so that, from the standpoint of 2004... Um, and, and just in, in broad terms, uh, I think they, well, I mean, maybe it wasn't that hard to see, but seeing the total disruption of the press was certainly, um, you know, it is nothing like it looked, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and so I, I assume that, that most of the facts that they had up to 2004 were, were pretty on the dot, you know, things like Google buying blogger, they mentioned happening in 2003. Right. I, I haven't fact checked that, but I'm assuming that, that that's uh, un, until they got to the future part, the, they, they didn't uh, alter the timeline. Um, right. Right. So they mentioned, uh, you know, Google buying keyhole, which was kind of the yeah, key and, to and Picasso, Google Earth's uh, images. Yeah. Which um, does that still exist or it's just Google photos? I think now? it's just Google photos uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, then they come up with uh, so so right. They have the timeline of the internet up to two thousand four. And remember, in terms of the Chris Dixon thing, uh, this is two thousand four is around the time when we're switching from the decentralized net uh, to the to the big tech tech net. And then, you know, now is the time where we're kind of switching back. Uh, so they're kind of talking about the this big. 15 year, I know they're doing 10 years, but they're talking about uh, just to fit it in with like kind of Chris Dixon's timeline. They're sort of fitting it into this big 15 year block of consolidation of media in web technology. And uh, basically it's, it's interesting because the, 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 the outcome they're talking about is the outcome we're in now that we're kind of sliding out of. <laughs> so it's uh, so, so that's where we are. Well, okay. If, if so we they are sliding out of it. If we're sliding out of it, right. So they talk about, uh, they think that, uh, so they think Microsoft's going to buy Friendster. And it's interesting because Microsoft did invest heavily in Facebook. Uh, but when you talk about the social apps, um, 
They they did see social coming, but they used Friendster as a well, and, as and a they now own LinkedIn, I believe. Which, yeah, Microsoft which owns LinkedIn. I, there, there's there's something very very Microsoft about like I, if if IBM or Microsoft were to own a social network, obviously it would be LinkedIn. It's it's like the most yeah. suit and tie version of a of a of a social network you could come up with. Right, right. Uh, okay, and they also talk about. So they say, okay, in a few years, Google is going to come up with this thing called the Google Grid. Now, I'm trying to wrap my heads around what, what their version of the Google Grid was and then what actually happened. But it kind of sounds like a Facebook Twitter with really good privacy controls. Like they're like, and everybody will have privacy controls. And I'm like, yeah, it's not well, as see, good I as... I think the, the way they... they... They talk about it and, and the visual that goes with it. It's basically that yeah. all your data goes here, all of it. And you can pick and yeah. choose what is you know privately stored and only visible to you. And you can pick what to publish. And you can they don't they don't talk about yeah. publishing it to to different groups. Uh, so it's unclear whether that's a you know, there's, there's yeah. a, it's kind of a binary private versus global setting or not. But basically that all your data is going to be with them. And and it's also giving you the power to share it with everybody else. Right. So it, it's and there was Google Buzz that maybe was a little bit like this as well. Uh, I, I think we did an episode called the Google Graveyard. Yep. Do you remember that one? Which is I'm trying to let me uh, see if I can get the. Um, well, yeah, there was there was Google Buzz. The there was Google Plus. There was Google Reader. And those all kind of moved close to that 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 area. But none of them. Yeah. Fully materialized into into this what they're calling yeah. the uh, the Google Grid. Episode 36. So the Google Grid can almost be thought of as all of social media today, um, I think. And so, you know, they have that coming about in 2006, in, real in 2008 uh, with Microsoft. In reality, it took a lot longer for those things to um, come to fruition. Um, so they talked about Microsoft sorting news socially with uh, with their new Friendster uh, acquisition, really, it ends up being Facebook sorting news socially and Twitter sorting news socially with comments for everybody. So what they're talking about sounds very, um, it sounds very uh, 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 Facebook Twitter-like. Uh, but of course, um, you know, I, I feel like they also had, you know, a lot of stuff about Google writing news articles using AI, which, you know, it does happen quite a bit, but their description of like writing a different article for each user was um, that's that's clearly not something. Yeah, that they they didn't have that they, happening until until uh, 2010 um, after after the merger, which uh, I, I guess I buried the lead there. Oh, oh, did I did I skip ahead in the timeline? Well, that, that, with with that that super uh, synthesized news, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. But, so but, sorry. So I should... so so popping back for a second to uh, what was it that happened in in. Uh, in 2006, when they when they come out with the Google Grid, the other thing they mention is that Google consolidates all of its businesses or all of its products into this Google Grid, and that made me think about um, when when did Google become Alphabet? Um, and, and apparently that was in 2015. But but even yeah. even now, five five plus years later, uh, they they haven't. Al Alphabet is just kind of a, a parent company, a holding company. It's not like all of those projects and programs and sub companies under it have have truly merged into one mega beast um i it's it's more that uh it's it's a hydra with many heads rather than you know one 
giant mecha Godzilla. Uh, and I'm, I'm mixing my monster metaphors there, but. Uh, right. So, right. They predict the 2008 merger of Google and Amazon. And that's why it's called the Google's on video. Uh, so they're like, and they make Google's on, you know, but, and that never happened, but those companies are incredibly symbiotic. Uh, Amazon is Google's biggest advertiser. You know, that makes sense. You know, because they have lots of products advertised. They have the most information. And Google is Amazon's biggest source of traffic. And and presumably uh, Google Search is somehow rolled into the the Amazon product, I would expect. uh, In in, in the fictional world that they're creating or the real world? It it definitely – well – so they, they mention uh, back in 2004, Amazon launching A9, which I think was a real thing, using Google Search. I don't know to what okay. extent Google Search is, is used inside of the Amazon ecosystem today. Right, right. And, of course, back then, Amazon didn't get into cloud computing yet, which, which now they're in. So now, now they control half the Internet. Um, yeah, well, I find and, it interesting. I mean, the, the, the Google Grid, I certainly visualize it as a cloud, but there's nothing in here that predicts cloud computing necessarily. Right. I mean, I I think back then you sort of like you can co- sort of see that that's basically what they're talking about, even though that's not what they called it back then. I, well, and and part of that is that the cloud is a weird uh, metaphor that we use. Yeah, um, the cloud is really just a fancy way of saying putting your stuff on other people's computers. There's, yeah, there's nothing <laughs> special about it being the cloud. Right, right, right. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the cloud, and, and you kind of think of the cloud as, it, it, it's almost like a metaphor for centralization, where I'm not going to keep things locally. I'm going to keep things in, it, now, Amazon is not a central location. Like, if you upload something to Amazon servers, it could be anywhere. It could be broken up into many different pieces, but it's centrally controlled. Right. Um, so, okay. So, yeah. they Physically have, distributed, but logically right. uh, centralized. So, they have this Googlezon uh, company, this, this mega tech company that merged in 2008, create user profiles of all of us. Uh, interestingly enough, they used Winston Smith as the example <laughs> user profile, who is uh, the... Yeah, Paging uh, George Orwell. Pro- yeah, the protagonist of 1984, which is a book that has been discussed uh, many times these days that I think um, a lot more people are saying, hey, night, uh, George Orwell's book, 1984, describes this time than they were saying it in 2005, 2004. There's certainly some some parallels you could find back then, but but not nearly as much. Like I remember, that's actually when I read it, and I remember thinking, "Oh wow, this is an interesting book, interesting academic exercise." <laughs> I don't really find it that relevant uh, to my life. And then, fools, fifteen all years of us. later, yeah. Then fifteen years later, <laughs> like, oh wow, actually, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah, well, and that's at relevant. least the second literary reference that we get in the video because in in the opening bit, uh, I, I think the the clip that you played, um, we get the the opening lines of a tale of two cities. Uh, you know, it was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I'm I'm not sure quite what to read in from that, uh, but uh, de- definitely some literary references buried in here. Other the people who made the video are well read. That's what I read it. <laughs> uh, so uh, no, I mean I'm sure they were trying to say uh, th- there's some truth to that too, right? That, that was the best that was of a times time of the revolution, was it not? The the French Revolution. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel like the guy was being held on the best deal. It, it's been a long 20, time since I've read that. Twenty twenty and twenty twenty one are probably not the best of times, but I think you could almost say that about maybe twenty eighteen is the best of times, the worst of times. You know, everyone's great. You know, but uh, and, and I think once we come out of this pandemic, if the economy's good, it'll again be the best of times and the worst of times at the same time if if we don't <laughs> fix what's going on with our technology. So I I, I do see how that line kind of works. Um, so right. the, the oh. other thing they called out happening in 2008 was uh, the New the New York Times uh, moving to a a paid uh, online only subscription model, um, which they they haven't moved to online only, but um, they they are leaning much more heavily today into the into the online subscription mode. I, I have an online subscription uh, subscription with them. Um, I don't know if I should advertise that, but <laughs> but I do, and. Uh, it's yeah that's basically what that 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 is basically what they well i don't know i don't know where most of their revenue comes from i assume it comes from the online subscriptions more than the papers but i could be wrong uh that would be interesting to see what their breakdown is yeah yeah um okay but it's definitely a much bigger deal like if you remember back to 2004 there were i don't think there were papers that were doing online uh, uh, you know, online subscriptions. It's 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 tough to remember back then. Um, I I feel like you probably could get an online subscription to the New York Times at that point, but it was so that you could do like the crossword puzzle. Uh, you know, so oh, you could maybe. print out the crossword puzzle. Not 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 that you were not realistically only using it online, or or okay. if you were that 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 certainly wasn't the major the bulk of their. Uh, yeah, I don't their, think they had their, their articles behind a paywall either. Uh, so, so there was that too. Yeah, I, I remember like creating an account when I was in college so that I could read articles online, but I definitely wasn't paying anything to do it. Right, right. Um, all right, interesting. I th- and now they have the New York Times archive, which is fantastic. You can go back and read anything since like 19- 1851. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of mind blowing so- that that. Uh, what you used to have to go to a library and dig out, you know, stacks and stacks of microfiche, uh, you can do with a, a touch of the keyboard from your own home today. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish other newspapers had that, like the New York Post or whatever, you know, like because uh, you realize the New York Post is such an old paper in New York and it's changed viewpoints multiple times. I kind of be interested to see like what it had to say in like 1983 or something. Yeah, I'm um, I'm sure that that like. The uh, the Library of Congress probably has an archive of it, but uh, it, it it maybe isn't uh, fully digitized and searchable uh, by the public at this point. I I wonder right. how the copyright and that kind of thing works for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the video and and what they predict. They predict kind of this master algorithm uh, where Google uses natural language processing to take facts available on a given day and presents this to us in a personalized way so we each get the most relevant news. Yeah, so that's so, that's going a level beyond what we currently get, which is picking out the news stories and articles and headlines that you might be interested in reading and literally breaking it down, you know, on a fact by fact, sentence by sentence uh, basis and then remixing it for you personally, which it does we, we a haven't little seen bit, that but not... level of of intelligence being applied to i'm sure you could do a deep learning approach to this but uh i'm kind of afraid of what it would spit out 
Well, right. Like you could say, okay, train GPT-3 uh, to work with um, individually. Well, GPT-3 doesn't really. Yeah, it seems like a lot of work to get an outcome that, you know, might not have any tangible benefit uh, to try to have a different writing style for each user. But I understand what that means. And so I understand the idea of personalized news is obviously what Twitter and Facebook and all of these companies were advertising, what they were trying to do. Although I don't think we really get personalized news anymore. I feel like we get news that these companies choose for us, essentially. We, we, we basically uh, get to choose which echo chambers to subscribe to. Uh, and, and in that yeah. sense, it's personalized, but it's not really personalized to you. It's that you've 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 chosen which reality to subscribe to. But I also think that it's it's beyond that. Like these companies do actually decide, you know, uh, you, you you can go into an echo chamber, but they do dis, they do kind of uh, decide what you see within that echo chamber, and they do try they do tip their hand on the scales um, more than. Uh, you know more than you would expect. Sure, and, and so, that's that's and not we've necessarily that. new. It's just that the editorial power is shifting a little bit here. Right, right. So I think they were way, way too optimistic about AI. I think a lot of these large language models are still in the works, and you know, it's it's possible that some of this will never come to fruition. But I I, yeah, I don't I, think it's and I, I think, think it will they call because it out the, specifically is AI, but but that d definitely seems to be what they're talking about there. Right, right. And I think that, uh, but there's been such tremendous um, uh, progress in the, in the field of language models and, you know, pulling out facts and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, just l listen to the episode on GPT-3 and all that and what Google's doing. Uh, it's, it's probably... Uh, something like this is probably coming, although it's it's the, the thing about natural language is that it always takes longer than expected. I feel like that's going back to like the 50s where they thought they could model language in with like the, the uh, or maybe the 60s uh, with the technology they had then. And it just wasn't possible. Was was this the uh, the was it the Dartmouth conference or? Um, I'm, I'm trying yeah, to remember I'm not, the, I'm not the, sure. the, the I, I feel like there was some, some famous meeting for, for AI that happened at Dartmouth and they all got together and, and basically said, you know, based on what we know, we think it'll take, you know, a couple of grad students, like six months to solve this problem. And then they went off and, uh, it still hasn't been solved today. Oh, I'd like to find that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to do some research and see if I can find exactly what I'm talking about there. I, I might be mixing up some, some, uh, apocryphal stories from the world <laughs> okay. of AI. <laughs> all right. No, I, I think that sounds about right. Um, all right. And so then they finally get to 2014. They predict immense well, advertising we, we, revenue. We, we skipped 2011 where the New York Times sues oh. Google's on uh, for copyright infringement, for uh, continuing to, to crawl all of their articles and, and basically remixing their news uh, and, and loses at the Supreme Court. Yeah. So that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Although they're, they're – I don't know if, if new well, there's certainly been conflict between news organizations and both Google uh, and uh, and probably more so Facebook um, with, you know, if, if their stuff gets post on posted on there, then they don't get any of the ad revenue and, and so on. Um, mm. 
I don't know if any of yeah. it's gone to the Supreme Court or not, but there's definitely been 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 lawsuits thrown around in that realm. Um, right, right. Um, and and yeah, I think in the I early days say... there there was there were some news organizations that uh, were trying to to force. I I don't know if it was Google or another search engine. It was probably Google to to try and prevent them from from crawling their sites because they felt that that was an infringement. And I think they ended up losing that. I'm not clear whether they whether that they lost that in the courts or if they just came to the realization that if we don't get let Google crawl us, nobody's going to go to our website. Right. Right. Who was that? I, I, I don't remember the specific news organizations, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was somebody like the New York times back in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. So they predicted 2014, the New York times goes offline only it's paper print only just for the elite and elderly. Well, that was not the fate of the New York times. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of these papers don't carry the, the heft that they once did. That's um, clearly true. Yeah. Does, does Time Magazine exist anymore? Or did that one disappear? Oh, sure. No. It's, yeah, no, no, it, it exists. It must be Newsweek, I, I think, that disappeared. But mm. there, there, yeah, there are plenty of publications that, that either disappeared completely or went digital only. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a lot more theory that print would just go out of fashion or would just be something that, Nobody did, and they go on printing, and you know you could still go to whatever, like around here, CVS, and get all the printed newspapers, and you know, <laughs> so things don't go away uh, that quickly. Um, oh, or that actually, that stuff might never go away, um, honestly. Uh, even though um, there are some sci-fi movies, I think it was uh, Minority Report where. Or, or also like Harry Potter, where somebody has a, a newspaper that changes. Yep. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a paper e-ink type situation. But I, I wouldn't. The the best thing about buying a newspaper is that it's like um, it's it, it's uh, disposable. You could get food on it. You could crumple <laughs> it up. You can throw it out. You well, could use it to line a birdcage. When when the know. Kindle first came out, and and this is something that's that's more or less dropped out of their their bag of tricks but but a big piece of it was oh we can customize your news feed and have news stories you know from certain publications sent to your kindle every day uh and i mean I, you now with the with the newer what is it, the the kindle fires you can have well because amazon owns the washington post it, it, they basically come with the washington post app installed there and, and you can install other news apps there so that's kind of supplanted that but um, that's that's moving away from e-ink and towards a uh, you know a color tablet. Yeah, yeah, huh? That that that's interesting. I, I mean, there's we haven't really talked about display technologies on the show yet, and those tend to move pretty fast. And you know, I, I would love to do an episode on that and try to you know learn a little bit about where where they're going because e-ink's been around for a long time, but um, I I haven't heard of any really cool. Uh, 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 products in the in the yeah. space well, of e-readers that have come the, out recently. The, the foldable screens seem to to keep attempting to launch and and then either face planting oh, yeah. or or launching but not getting adoption. But but there's yeah. there, well, I don't know why we, that is. So I'd have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. we're we're, we're not we're not prepared research. to talk not, in detail about that. But let's 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 hit the uh, the 2014 highlight here the the apotheosis, uh, the, right. the release of well, Epic. For, right, Epic. Well, first of all, they predict immense advertising revenue for Google, and that's spot on. Yeah. Especially in 2004, when Google really was only six years old, and people were really just starting 
to talk about Google in polite conversation. Like, yes, we had Google in in 2001, 2002. But like it, for me it, back then, it was kind of like something that, you know, I knew about. It was a search engine that I found and I wouldn't have assumed that other people would know about it. Uh, you know, and I I, I, I think that um, it, by 2004, it was clearly like everybody knows what Google is. Well, but it was just starting. So, so 2004, when this came out, uh, I'm assuming this is accurate yeah. because because it was in the the real time. You know, before before they started forecasting, they have uh, Gmail coming out in 2004, and I remember right. uh, getting a Gmail invite being like a hot commodity that you you needed to know yeah. somebody who knew somebody to do that. Yes, yes, and eventually I did, and it was so exciting, and you get <laughs> one gigabyte of free space. Um, so. Uh, yes, that's yeah, the, cool. so, the amount of free storage to, to go along with your, your your Gmail account has not grown according to Moore's law. No, definitely not. I don't know how much it is, but I, it's not my, enough. Mine tops out at like I think fifteen, and that might be because I've got some some promotional uh, bonuses in there. Not enough. Yeah. Not enough. That's what they say. Okay, so they predict the rise of Epic in twenty fourteen. The the evolving and... personalized information construct. Right. How's that and for also, an acronym? They used E uh, as in like, Epsilon? you know, no, 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 no. E as in um, the constant E, uh, oh, okay. personalized information, pi as in PI and construct C as in the speed of light. Um, okay. So contributors can get paid a fraction of ad revenue based on the popularity of their content. So that describes YouTube. Which uh, is a Google company. Pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was bought by Google in 2006 for $2 billion, one of the best acquisitions of all time. Ago? Yeah. It one of the best acquisitions of all time because now that thing's worth, um, I, I mean, YouTube has got to be one of the major sources of Google's revenue. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was half. Um, and contributors do get paid. Uh, and also they predicted custom content for each user based on what the system knows of it. So... Yes, again, and nowadays a lot of that custom content is in the form of ads, and um, there is so much money to be made in the ad industry that that thing becomes basically as efficient as it possibly can be. It's like a living, breathing system, (laughs) and even though we get dumb ads sometimes, it's... um, it's amazing how sophisticated the tech underneath is. I think I, I'll, I'll link to the episode where I talked to Shoshana Wadinsky about the ad tech space. So, so there's also a little a little tag on for 2015, I guess, which was was their added bonus material, um, and right. and they talk about uh, an ex New York Times reporter. Uh, who's who's tagging what they refer to as broadcasts with GPS data and and other users joining in, and this this sounds. The, the first thing that popped to mind was microblogging of audio. And and yeah. maybe this is a, a, a prescient view of like TikTok or uh, or maybe, maybe they were thinking something more along the lines of podcasts. But it, there's 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 a kernel of something that they got there. And, and if they added this in 2014 or 2015, then then maybe that's not that forward looking because, I mean, uh, was was Vine around then? When did that happen? And Paris. Periscope, my my sense of well, time no. is 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 all out of whack. But that was yeah, that was around 2014. Yeah, so so there were there was stuff like this popping up then. But uh, you know what what was was new and innovative then is is newly trending again now. It's it's kind of come around again in the cycle. 
Right, right. I, I mean, this almost reminded me of what, what I'm working on with MarsBot Audio, sure. where you can uh, create geofenced uh, audio content and, you know, you walk around and all of a sudden um, someone, maybe me, comes on and starts talking <laughs> to you about where you are. So that's, um, that, that's really, and, and of course it predicts in some ways Foursquare, uh, which wouldn't start for another five years from when they made the video. So uh, uh, where you kind of broadcast your location in a check-in. So now it's not audio, but it's a very simple piece of data that could then be sent to all your friends and all that stuff. Um, so, all right. I think we've gone through the video and everything that they've said on it. Very interesting stuff. Uh, very cool to see what people say about essentially our time in, in 2004. I mean, I know this. their prediction was five years ago, but... Uh, again, this is the this was the prediction of big tech, and that's where we're in now. Um, and so, let's see if we get some final thoughts on how they did. Uh, first of all, I think they did very well. I don't think you could do much better than than how they did. I think they benefited from talking to the people who were creating and evangelizing this technology. So they were actually talking. So I don't know who said like the best way to predict the future is to create it, but. Um, <laughs> They were talking to the creators and the investors, and so that sort of uh, gives me, uh, you know, uh, optimism for this blockchain tech because a lot of the people who are predicting it are also involved in creating it. So uh, that's uh, that, that that's really encouraging. Uh, they kind of missed mobile a little bit, although a lot of this stuff can't be done without mobile. I think it was just, you know. They didn't. They missed like how big of a deal it would be in terms of a business opportunity, but also as, as in terms of like how it changed all of our lives. Yeah, and and while they kind of missed it, they they did. Uh, they 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 got a close but no cigar on 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 one of those items. And actually, uh, let, let's step back a second because one of the things we skipped over that they did mention, which uh, I, I think actually did happen in two thousand four, they talk about the iPod launching the podcast movement. Um, at, and and it you know oh yeah they refer to wow. it as as personal radio um, yeah which you know it, it, it kind of removed the gatekeeper to to some extent uh, much much in the same way that blogs did for um, a lot of of early citizen journalism um, in a in a pre Twitter world and and even in a pre Facebook world um, and right. then they they forecast uh, into what what then was the very near future in two thousand five what they refer to as the the Apple Wi-Fi pod oh yeah the 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 Wi-Fi pod. Um, which was a an iPod with a, a digital camera and built-in Wi-Fi, so you could, uh, you know, you could you could share uh, images and audio b with other users uh, without having to, you know, to to plug in to connect. Which which is is so close to getting the iPhone prediction, um, which which didn't come out until 2007, but uh, completely changed the landscape for for a lot of tech. Imagine if they went to Steve Jobs and they'd be like, you need to name this the Wi-Fi pod. Be like, the Wi-Fi pod, really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. They, they did get some of that. And, um, and yeah, podcasting as well. I think they overestimated how much podcasting would be tied to a location because mm. you think like talk radio has to be tied to a location, or at least it was historically, because radio, uh, you know, you're usually only broadcasting to your city or 100, 200, 300 mile radius, depending on the strength of the uh, of the of the radio signal. Uh, but um, now there are some local podcasts, but I think that they are less 
less common than just general podcasts about a about a topic of of interest. Yeah, I mean it's it's um, a different kind of niche, but the the freedom of the medium uh, lets you pursue that because you you don't have the necessarily the overhead that would be required in in a more traditional approach. So you can right. you can cater to a very niche audience, whether that's geographically niche or niche in their interests. Yeah, and podcasting is, um, I think, probably the freest uh, medium on the on the internet right now that we're participating in, uh, because it's so decentralized. Somehow escaped the clutches of big tech. There are some companies like Spotify trying to get it, but uh, so far it's been. Rather, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, other than so, than the only example I can think of is is Alex Jones, but I'm I'm surprised. Other than that, we haven't heard of more people being uh, blocked from uh, at least the iTunes store um, or, or or whatever they call it, the 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 podcast the iTunes podcast store, um, right? Because a- Apple is well known for taking a a walled garden approach to all of their their content and their services, that's where I would first expect to see some sort of, of censorship occurring there uh, rather than well, like your SoundClouds or, or some of your other hosting right. services. I think it's because, well, you know, a, a lot of podcasts are very small. They don't have the time or the resources to check into all of them, even using machine learning uh, or, or like, you know, I don't think they're transcribing all our podcasts. Secondly, podcasts don't have comments associated with them. So you don't see all the vitriol that's right in your face that you do on something like a parlor or Twitter or all that. Um, And, you know, there are some podcasts out there that are probably censorable, Um, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's, Alex Jones censorable or like Howard Stern censorable or, uh, well, you know, I know they, they do have they, like the explicit tag, but I, I don't know yeah. whether that's uh user, uh, like if, if the creator has to, uh, has to select that or if they have a way of, of, of checking for that and, and right. But even so, uh, other podcatchers that they allow, allow you to just type in an RSS feed right. or paste in an RSS feed. So you could actually get around all of this pretty easily. Right. Uh, um, I mean, if, if, if they actually wanted to, to, to censor on that level, then, then they would have to not only remove it from their store, but then they would have to remove all of the other uh, you know, podcatcher apps uh, from, from their yeah. app store, which, which Apple certainly has the ability to do. Um, but but that would be a pretty dramatic undertaking. It would be very dramatic. It would kind of make people not want. Yeah, it it would be it would be extremely dramatic. Um, okay, so uh, we covered a lot today. We covered the rising decentralization. We went back 15 years and looked at what they were saying about uh, this particular uh, th- this particular phase of. The internet and what big tech predictions of big tech and warnings of big tech that they gave us from ten years ago. One uh, one comment that really stuck out at me was, um, I think it was the Google Grid. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they're talking about Epic, and they said at its worst, it's a collection of trivia, much of it untrue, narrow, shallow. And sensational, and I was like, "Yes, ding, ding, yes, ding. they know, they know." Uh, so that 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 I think was the best uh, best uh, comment in the, in the whole video, and that was the uh, the end. So they basically warned about the whole thing. They saw the whole 
they saw the whole damn thing coming um, <laughs> and, uh, and and raised the alarm. And uh, now we're now we've got to work to get out of it. So um, but it's cool that people uh, know what's going on. Some of that this stuff is predictable. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a fascinating view of the future from the past. Uh, and uh, yeah, or the fascinating view of the present. Really? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the lesson we can take from this is. Uh, well, but... I think one of the lessons is that um, there there are some th- there are forecasting is possible if they did a pretty good job, but not not completely. I think another lesson is that you, you never know which companies are going to do what in the end. That's the hardest part to predict which specific company is going to get into which thing. Um, and I think the further lesson is, yeah, the, the, the story is not done. Now we get to create the rest of the story over the next 15 years, which could be very different than the last 15. To be seen. Those are my three takeaways. To be seen. All right. Great. Any, uh, any last thoughts on today's episode? Uh, it's, it's, it's very, uh, you know, be, behind the band kind of uh, story here but uh, appar- apparently one of the inspirations for for this uh, this project when they were creating it was uh, a, uh, a massive multiplayer uh, online video game Ultima Online and the the way in which the users interacted with the environment to change the environment and how that changed environment affected the other users and how that influences journalism um, so I think it's it's Kind of cool that that something completely separate from from you know news and politics and uh, and, and current events uh, influence them in this way that you know we we've certainly gamified the entire world around us uh, and you know the, <laughs> I've been a part of that. See social media exhibit A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, it is very fascinating. It certainly so, feels like we're uh, trying to fight our way out of a dungeon on uh, on yeah. some days. Yeah, yeah, but. Hey, we did it. We created this amazing world. Uh, Aaron, Hooray! Thanks, for coming on. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show today. Pleasure as always. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.